0: Uh, we're in Romans. I want, to, as you give you time to turn there, Romans chapter seven. You can also turn to Galatians chapter five, and we're gonna we're gonna touch basis on both of those. I'm gonna read them in succession. One helps us to understand the other. Often, if you struggle with a passage, it's always good to read uh, like-minded passages to see how they play out in that passage. It always kind of gives you a general direction, so we'll do that. And so Romans 7 and then Galatians 5, and and, uh, so we'll be looking at that. Well, let's pray as we jump into uh, 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 Romans chapter 7. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding, that helps us. We thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for helping direct our hearts and our minds as what do we do with your moral law now that we're saved? If we've put our faith and trust in Christ, if we, we know that you have saved us and how you've saved us and why you've saved us, and what about sin in our flesh? Lord, all these things that we ask, well, why and how and, and what, Uh, do we do about all these things? And Lord, thank you for answers um, that you give us. Help us to see those answers and to understand the impact that they can have to further our relationship with you. All that to be said, Lord, we need you and we need to listen uh, carefully to you. Help us to do that now as we read your word together in these two different passages that you speak directly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Starting in Romans chapter 7, I'm going to actually start in verse 12, just to kind of get the summation of from what we did last week and go to verse 20. Verse 12 says, for sin seized an opportunity through the commandments, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy. The flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit that belongs to the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. These are great parallel passages that help us to understand difficult things as we go through God's truth in Romans chapter 7. We've been going through this thing about our union and understanding what our union with Christ really means. Now that we're saved, now that we've been united with Christ, what does that look like in regards to our sin? We've looked at that in chapters 3 and chapters 4. And now as we move beyond that, what does that look like against God's law? We know that we don't have to keep the ceremonial law in order to be saved. That's what Christ did but we know that what God's law is not bad or sinful, it's actually good because the law was given based on the characteristics of God. It points us to God, it points us to what is righteous or right. And so our union with Christ, we need to understand how, what's our relationship with the law then that is good and Sin. How does it also relate from law to sin and and then to ourselves? How does it impact our life? As you can tell from the text in verses, you know, from 12 through 20, you can tell that it greatly affected Paul, didn't it? So much so that he goes around in circles. He actually gives his argument three different times in those passages and Well, actually, through verse 24, he continues to explain himself. We're not going to get through verse 24. We're going to stop a little earlier today. In order to understand this, understand what Paul is talking about, we need to really kind of give and break it down into some introductions. One of the things that we can learn as we, and I want you to think about, is how many times do you overestimate yourself? Do you know, have you thought about overestimation of what we can do, how good we are, or how smart we are, often gets us into a lot of trouble. And and that's true when it comes to a good moral life. And doing what God wants us to do, it's so easy because we're used to just doing good things, that, and we come to church, we hear good things, we, we know we need to follow good things, and, and we see good things around us, and it's easy sometimes to modify our behavior and, and our surroundings and, and only spend time with those that are doing good things because we understand that, you know, uh, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. And, and so we often overestimate our ability Often, and we overestimate our self good. I want you to think about that because often when we overestimate, it it often deflates maturity in the Lord. You often say, well, as we look at the church culture and we look at our relationship with God's moral law and we look at our relationship with sin and we say, well, Paul is trying to teach us on how to grow in maturity. He's taken us from being dead in sin to being now alive in God. And we need to understand what his purpose for the argument that is before us. Part of it is, is don't overestimate self. It doesn't help you grow in your walk with God. It doesn't help you to be mature. In doing that, I want you to look at in the introduction a couple of things here is we need to see and notice the change of tenses of verbs. It helps us to understand what this passage is about. It helps us to understand a few things, and that is in our previous passage, verses 7 through 13, they're all basically past tense verses. I Paul's talking about in his own life, I used to be dead in sin. Before he was before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he he was dead. And then Christ dramatically did something in his life. He talks about his past experience before he was a Christian. So in verses 9b, Paul says, sin came alive and I died. And in verse 11, he says, sin deceived me. And in verse 13, he says, did that which is good then bring death to me by no means. He's again referring past tense about his life before Christ but in verses 14 and onward there's this big change there's this big change in the fact that it is now present tense this is who this is what's going on now in my life with Christ but now in verse 14 onward the verbs are present tense paul presents his experience as a christian don't underestimate what paul is Describing in his present relationship with Christ. It'll help you drastically in your own walk with Christ. In fact, in verse 14, Paul says, I am of the flesh. I am of the flesh. Even if you go back into 13, he says, it says it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. It's like sin, because of the good law, it continues to produce even more sin. He says, I am of the flesh, present tense, for I do not understand my own actions, he says, in verse 15, or because I, I, I do not do what I want to do. I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. And he's talking about his present in the present tense. The other thing we need to notice to help us to understand is, is we need to notice Paul's opinion of himself. Did you notice? did not really have a high view of himself. Um, Oops, went too far. Um, I have more things in my notes. <laughs> he didn't have a high... He says in verse 14, he says, I'm of the flesh, not of the law. That was good, right? He says, I'm of the flesh. For I know, in verse 18, he goes, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my sinful fleshly nature. Nothing good dwells in me. How? What's, what's the opinion of himself? It's not very high. He goes on at the very end of verse 24 that we didn't read, but he says he calls himself a wretched man. Now, I want you to ask, when... Usually, an unsaved person, a person that really isn't a believer, isn't, is, a, is a person who is characterized by self-confidence or focused on self-confidence, self-righteousness, and would never acknowledge himself as a wretched person. Right? But a mature believer... The more mature they are, the more that they've looked at the law, the more that they've gazed on the law, the more that they've looked at and they understand who God is, doesn't see himself in a good light, does he? Paul's that way. The more that he's looked at the law, he's saying the more that he realized who he really is. Notice Paul's also opinion of the law. So he doesn't have a very high view of himself, right, which produces a high view of God and we see that here in his opinion of the law Paul calls the law good verse 16 right he, and he calls it what is good in, in verse 13 verse 14 verse 15 verse 16 he talks about that the law is good verse 22 for I delight in the law of God I delight in it it is good I find delight there by the way that's not the language of an of a non-believer that's not a language of a fleshly person is it if they're living over here remember in verse in chapter five about our two. there's two different natures there's the nature that's represented by adam and the nature that's represented by christ and when you jump when god saves you you are submerged in remember that language in christ remember the pickle Right? right? That's all I'm going to say. Remember the pickle? The, pig, the cucumber goes in the vinegar and eventually over time comes out as a... It takes time though, right? When it first gets submerged in, it's still mostly a cucumber, but it gets changed and transformed over time. Paul's saying that this law, and he delights in this law, His language is the other way around. It's not the language of a non-believer. It's not the attitude of someone. Most believers, when you start quoting scripture, or I'm sorry, most unbelievers, when you're quoting scripture, say, "Eh, I don't want to hear it. Right? They don't like God's word. They don't like calling it good and right. This is what Paul is saying. But... The non-believer's attitude shows, if you go fast forward to Romans chapter 8, which we'll get there, and verse 7, it says, The mind that is set on the flesh, the mind of the sinful man, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Right? But Paul, his heart, he acknowledges that the law is good. He acknowledges that his heart wants to obey it. But did you notice he hates the flesh, but he loves the law, right? These two basic elements help us to really get a firm grasp on the fact that because not only is he speaking in the present, that Paul's speaking about himself and a mature Christian, a mature believer. The other thing it helps us to understand is, that both in Romans 7, the verses 7 through 13 and 14 through 20, emphasizes that this fleshly nature is our biggest problem. When it comes to the law, the law reveals our sin, doesn't it? It reveals the fact that we need a savior. It reveals how horrible we really are. But the law also shows us that in here, in in these verses in our text, that we have a big problem still with our flesh. Which brings us to our main points this morning. That the law is spiritual, that is good. It's from the Spirit, it's from God. But our fleshly nature is not. Right? That's what he says in verse 14. He's saying that it's not good. Paul begins with a frank acknowledgement of our condition. That is... This inborn, inbred, sinful nature that isn't completely gone yet. We are a new creation in Christ, but we are not perfected yet. We're not in heaven. We haven't been raised, we've been raised with Christ and our position. We are in Christ, but we're still affected by the flesh. Paul begins as a mature believer with a sober admission that what we are in and of ourselves is not really good. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under the law. Some of your translations say sold unto law or to law, but it's really to be under the law. It's In the Greek, it's literally to be under the effects of the law, which is really important because... Wait a minute, I thought you said we were in Christ, a new creation in Christ. We're no longer in the flesh. We're, we aren't. under It doesn't have a mastery over us. It's not the Lord of our life. Adam is no longer our representative. Christ is. And he's acknowledging that God's law is spiritual and is good. It comes from God. But we are still in the flesh facing the effects of the flesh. All right? We're not in. It's different than being of something and in something, but we're under still the effects of that. In other words, Paul is saying this, is what I am, even as a Christian, though the law is good and spiritual, I am still under the effects of the flesh. I am unspiritual. I am fleshly. Sin dwells in me. It assaults me. And I am no match for it. Don't overestimate yourself. That's our condition, that we find ourselves. As a believer in Christ, we find that God is good, that his law is good, his word is good, and we're outmatched if we focus on the things of the flesh. I still have my flesh, but now... As a Christian, I also have the Holy Spirit living in me. And this is how God views me. He no longer views me as one with, one with only a sinful nature or the flesh, but rather as one who is a new creation in Christ. This is what the reality is. The more that Paul looked at the law, the more he realized That the more spiritually minded we become, the more we realize the goodness and holiness of God and the more we realize the worthlessness of our flesh. The things that we can do is not good. It's worthless. But God is good. God is holy. God is glorious. We will more and more realize that we need to depend on God. In his grace, and we'll need, realize that we need to be less and less dependent on our works and our attempt at being good. Sometimes that's a problem. We tend to realize that we're like, oh, I need to try to do everything right. I'm going to do all these good things. I'm going to follow all the. I'm going to make all these rules in my life. But the flesh takes over and corrupts that. The spirit is what produces what is right? The gospel and the Holy Spirit that produces that in our life, He produces the very righteousness of God in our life. The second point that Paul is trying to make in verse fifteen and eighteen and nineteen is this: is the results is constant conflict between the two natures. There's this constant conflict. By the way, Paul is not espousing that we have two separate natures. We're not like this this uh, schizophrenic person that has two different people. No, we, he's, what he's saying that it, in Christ, we still have the effects of that sin as we're being transformed to be more like Christ. He's talking about what we're seeing here is progressive sanctification. Paul says in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. He continues in verse 18, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do I keep on doing. He's saying the conflict is only going to get stronger between my, the, the, the effects of the flesh and the Holy Spirit that resides in my life. I want to point out the verb, I do. When he says, I do... This is a key verb in this section. It appears four times in verse 15, 17, 19, 20. It's the Greek verb that talks about literally means to achieve something in our flesh under our own labor. That's what it means. In the context, it means to attempt to achieve through labor the effects or the work of the law. Paul is saying that he kept trying by his own work to, to perfect the law, and he could not understand why he could not keep doing it. The more he tried, the more sinful flesh reared its ugly head. He wanted so desperately to have victory over sin, but he kept losing and doing the very thing he hated. He struggled with that. He says the exact same thing in Philippians Chapter 3, verse 6 and 9. The conflict in the Christian is between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. The effects of the flesh and now this new nature that we have in Christ. That is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that we read in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The flesh is literally desiring and opposing the things of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? The spirit also are against the flesh. For they're opposed. They're, they're de-ma- they demagnetize each other, right? Have you ever flipped a magnet over and tried to push them together? They have opposite polarities. They, they shove each other apart. It makes for some great, great scientific fun activities. I always love doing them. But here's the thing is that's what it's saying. The flesh and the spirit are on opposite polar. They just repel each other. Let me stress this again. We are now a result of the law in the sinful flesh. The result is we're under constant conflict. Constant. This is why when we overestimate our spiritual lives and we overestimate how good we are, we fall hard. We're in constant conflict in every way. Paul is warning and he's saying, this is true in my life. This is the new reality that I am facing in my life. This is the constant conflict that every, not only Paul, but every Christian is going to experience. The the complex, the combat that takes place between our flesh is trying to destroy us and the combat with the Holy Spirit that's seeking to deliver us. Have you thought about it? This is the combat that's taking place. The flesh that's trying to destroy us and the Holy Spirit that desperately wants to deliver us. That's the constant conflict in every believer. The combat takes place between the flesh that's trying to destroy us and the Holy Spirit that's trying to deliver us. That brings us to number three in verse 16, is that the law reveals we continue to have, we continue to have a sin problem indwelling in us. We have a problem that, it's it's true, in the flesh, under, uh, the results, it dwells there. The results of the flesh, this earthly flesh that we have, positionally we're in Christ, that nothing can take that away. But right now we still have to deal with the results of, And the effects of sin. One nature is moving towards godliness. And the other nature is moving away. To ungodliness. Man the flesh hates godliness. At all costs. It hates it. It hates it. It hates it. You start doing something right. (coughs) You start loving the Lord. And your flesh rebels. you need to be ready for that. That's what Paul is trying to get at, is that, is, is that the law reveals that we are continuing to have a sinful problem. The reason for the struggle is that Paul, with his new nature in Christ, honestly, he honestly desires to do the will of God. But he has honestly discovered that there is part of, of, to him that, that is in the flesh, a sinful nature that is affecting him. It's affecting him. It's fighting against him. It's a fighting against the new nature. It hates the Holy Spirit. It's a wicked evil lurking around every corner to pounce on the new believer in Christ. Paul makes a statement that is, is kind of difficult to understand. It took me a while to parse out all this. And, he's, and then who's to blame then? Who's to blame for this? For the good that I do not do and the evil I do. And this is what Paul is clarifying in this last statement. Twice Paul says, it is no longer I who does it, verse 17 and verse twenty. Right? But the sin that still dwells within me. So, is he's Paul proclaiming, I'm a scapegoat. Hey, it's not my fault. It's sin. Right? It's kind of like the devil made me do it. Is that what Paul is saying? The context tells us. As I parsed it out, I began to realize, I was like, no, he's not saying it's not, it's the fact that the flesh is still indwelling there. You still, I'm under the effects of the flesh. It's that it's not the, the the fruit of the spirit that's doing the sin. It's not the law that's spiritual that is doing the sin. Remember that question was asked. It's the effects of the flesh that's still present in my life that is that I, that's doing the sin. He's taking ownership of that, by the way. The statement is actually more taking ownership of the sinful flesh that's there in his life and the fact that he has to deal with that. The sinful flesh is still dominant there. He is still a present threat in Paul. He is still under the influence and effect of the sinful flesh. But thanks... Be to God, who has given us the Holy Spirit to battle against the flesh. That's what Galatians 5 is all about. We're going to see that, right? Verse 1 of chapter 8. He gives us the explanation and the application of this in next week's message before we go to our Christmas messages. Eight, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? That's the hope that is dwelling in us. In this conclusion, as we look at this hard, this hard aspect, one of the things that we realize is that we've seen through all of chapter 7 is this truth. You cannot become spiritual by keeping the law. If, if your focus is just to do a bunch of good things and, and try to do a bunch of good things, and you think life will just get better, the flesh is still there. And the law is only going to expose it more, which means it's only going to produce more problems. You cannot become spiritual by keeping the law. That's what we see in both of these sections in chapter 7. The other thing is, is these verses expose the depravity of our flesh. It shows us how wicked our flesh is. It shows us how it it, it wants to destroy us. How bad sin really is. We have to stop overestimating ourselves and underestimating sin. These verses expose the depravity of our flesh. That's what Paul is getting at. What we need to know today is that, is that an honest and humble acknowledgement of the hopelessness and depravity of the flesh, even after we become Christians. That's the thing, is if we are living by the gospel every day, and we, we take the gospel, that, and we have to come face to face with our sin, and that God was gracious enough to send us Christ to deal with that sin. Every day, God expects us to live according to that. You know, the right diagnosis of a problem in our life is the beginning of victory, isn't it? Whether whether it's the right diagnosis in a car engine, right? The right diagnosis if you go to the doctor. The right diagnosis, you know... If you, you go to, you know, come and see me in the, you know, at, at, you know, and I do counseling in my office, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you, you have this problem. You know, go cut your fingernails and you'll be fine. <laughs> right? The right diagnosis is going to solve all the problems in the world. That's, the, that's it. Paul is sharing with us a right diagnosis. Too many of us have an exaggerated opinion of ourselves in relation to our ability to overcome sin. The only way to deal with sin is to realize what our flesh is really like. To realize what God really did for us. Remember he said in in 5, is that we need to have that understanding daily in chapter 5 of Romans. Romans. Here's the other thing that we can take away is is that God's word convicts us that only the Holy Spirit can deliver us. Sometimes we can sit there and have a pity party about, you know, we're sinners and we can over exaggerate that that we're sinners and, and stay stagnant and do nothing. But the reality is it's meant to drive us to the Holy Spirit, to the fruit of the Spirit, to rely on the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. It's meant to, to repel us from the flesh to be under the leading and direction of the Spirit. Our only hope is unceasingly, it's this undying vigilance and dependence on the work of God in our life. We've got to stop thinking that it's about us. And start and continue to remember every day it's about him. That's the way we we see victory. That's why we have all these hymns and songs and spiritual songs and statements that it's only through Christ. Right? Victory in Jesus and, you know, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy. Right? In Jesus than to trust and obey. Ecclesiastes 12, right? The whole duty of man, fear God, keep his commandments. One of the two biggest mistakes is is not realizing God's word convicts us, that it's only the Holy Spirit that delivers us. Also shows us that it's dangerous to ignore sin. It's dangerous to ignore our flesh. It's dangerous to say, well, I'm I'm a Christian. I don't need to worry about it. I can just do whatever I want. That thinking creates a lot of problems. Right? Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, the mind of the flesh is death. It's a scary proposition. That leads us to the other one is that's this. It's dangerous to think that we will ever, 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 ever be free from sin in this life. Spiritually, we we have been given a position that's forever held for eternity in heaven by the Holy Spirit and by Christ, by the work of Christ for us, waiting for us in heaven to be revealed in the last day. Paul says that he, in Philippians 1, it says, "...he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ." He's going to continue, Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians, that he's going to continue to conform us into his image. In in Colossians, we should be growing in that image because of pursuing Christ. Paul says in chapter 3 of Philippians that my one point, my whole point of my life is to pursue Christ, right? I agonize to know Christ. It's dangerous to ignore sin and to think that it no longer has any effect on us. We must not think that we will ever be free of the effects of sin in this life. There are some that teach this. It's called sinless perfection. Right? Perfectionism. And then there are those that teach against the law, which is antinomianism. You don't have to worry about the law. Just do whatever you want. We're saved. Neither of them are going to help you in your walk with Christ. This is not what Paul expected for the church in Rome. This is not what God expects for us. Growing, maturing Christians do not ignore sin. Nor do we believe that we'll ever rise above sin in and of ourself by what we choose to do. We need to focus on what God chose to do for us. That's the way we mature. That's the way we see victory in this life, and we see that into the next life when God raises us with him, when Christ returns, and we're closer to his return than we were before. And he says, today is the day of salvation, right? If you do not know whether or not you're saved from your sins... From the effects of your flesh, then you need to listen to what God is teaching us in His Word. That it's not by our work, but it's by His work. We can never hope to pay for our sin. Sin will always have the victory over our life. But Christ, when He died, when He lived, and when He died and He rose again, destroyed death. The, the, what we owe God. Because of sin. He paid for our sins. He became our peace. So that way we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. How did Paul have peace in his life and contentment? It wasn't because he was free from sin. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he acknowledges his sinfulness. And that he acknowledges the conflict that's within him. And it resulted in his maturity. It's kind of the opposite of what we think today. That's how we start our road to maturity in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that needs to be saved, that, Lord, you would do the work that only you can do in pricking their heart, helping them to acknowledge their sinfulness, and then realize that they'll never be able to deal with it, and that they would surrender their life to you and be saved from their sin based on your work that you've done for them. Lord, I pray that as we begin to understand what this road to maturity looks like and this new life with Christ and, and living for you, that, it's, that we would acknowledge the truthfulness of the effects of sin in our life and of our flesh. We wouldn't ignore it. We wouldn't try to be these like the, the religions of the world. That we'd be quick to acknowledge our flesh as Paul has. And the fight that we're fighting. And that we acknowledge that if we do the fight, we will lose. But if we acknowledge the fight in the race that you, are, that you have run for us, then you will begin to mature us in our walk with you. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit. In doing so, in following your word, and in running towards that which is spiritual and teaches us about you, that would repel our flesh as the Spirit fights for us. Thank you for the work that you are doing. Help us to continue to grow in our maturity and our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.